Welcome to Commending and Contending, a podcast of the Gospel Coalition Australia. I'm your host, Jonathan Holm. The Gospel Coalition Australia exists to encourage and assist Australian Christians to remain convinced of the truth and power of the gospel, to commend and contend for the gospel in our lives and our ministries, and to foster connections between individuals, churches, and other ministries so that we can most effectively advance the gospel in Australia. Joining me today is Danny Truick. Danny, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Danny. Uh, well, I'm a Sydney girl, born and bred. Um, I've travelled a lot, but never lived anywhere else than Sydney. Um, and uh, grew up going to a faithful Bible teaching church. It was a very small church um, here in Sydney. Uh, and um, ended up going to a different church for youth group years, just because there were no kids my age at our, our um, family church. And it was an incredibly formative time for me as a young Christian, just being surrounded by other people my age, trying to work out who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. So um, uh, I'm incredibly thankful for the way that God um, put me in a time and a place where there was a bunch of great churches I could go to, you know, st throw a stone here in Sydney and you're going to hit a great Bible teaching church, which is just such a blessing. Um, but I followed that up eventually after some years of wandering around university, not quite sure what I was doing. Um, I eventually went on to study theology at Moore Theological College in Sydney, uh, worked for almost seven years um, in women's ministry and as an assistant minister at an Anglican church here in Sydney. Um, and then rather strangely and very unexpectedly did a PhD. I didn't see that coming until a couple of months before it was suddenly what I was doing. Um, but yeah, so I, I spent... Um, uh, about four or five years, four years writing a PhD um, on singleness, a theology of singleness. And now most of my time is spent um, developing fruit coming out of that research and, and trying to, you know, disseminate some of the, the findings and the theolo theological um, truths that I uncovered more broadly. So, yeah, I run a ministry called Single Minded um, Ministry as well, where we, we do a lot of, um, try to produce a whole lot of resources to help churches think more biblically and faithfully on this. And Danny, how has God been encouraging you recently? Oh, that's such a big question, isn't it? Because he he's constantly encouraging us. And I think I was challenged by the question because I had to sit there and think, oh gosh, how has God been encouraging me? And I thought it's crazy that I would actually have to stop and think about that because it's just the work of his spirit in our lives is just so constant and consistent. I think we take it for granted. But having said that, one um, one story that did come to mind, uh, I was at church yesterday morning and I was talking to friends um, about friends, a friend of theirs whose son uh, is in trouble with the law. He's had, um, yeah, hasn't hasn't had a good adult, young adult life, shall we say. He's, he's really struggled. And in doing that has um, caused other people to struggle and brought harm on other people. Anyway, they were talking about how he had been really harmed himself as a young child. And I was just reflecting on listening to that story, how capable of evil we humans are. Um, and that is all of us in all sorts of different ways. But then the sermon yesterday at church was on Jesus' exhortation to his disciples to pray to God, to pray to our Father in heaven um, and, you know, ask and you shall be given. 
seek and you shall be fine. Knock and the door be open. And just wrestling with how God must be so grieved with our sinfulness, our rejection of him, our harm of each other. And yet, look, he throws the door. He said, just knock. Um, and then he promises to give us his spirit. I just was blown away by God's graciousness, um, his love, his mercy uh, to a people who are just so far from him. So, yeah, that was an enormous encouragement to me. Tell me, when it comes to commending the gospel, you say that our church community uh, can think better and more biblically, more faithfully, especially in this area of singleness. Why do you think that? Yeah, well, partly because I did four years of a PhD on it, so I'd better want to think it, wouldn't I? <laughs> you wouldn't want to get to the end of that and think, oh, there was nothing to see here. <laughs> um, I joke quite often that I um, was never my lifelong dream to become a doctor of singleness, but but here I am. Um, so I'm I'm never married myself. I'm um, I have always been single. I have a lot of friends who have who are single. Uh, whether they also, like me, have never been married or divorced or widowed. Um, I have opposite-sex attractive Christian friends. I have same-sex attractive Christian friends. I spent seven years working in church ministry where there were quite a lot of singles in the area of Sydney I was in. Um, and I just, I, I recognised how the questions that many of us were grappling with were just not questions, not even that weren't, weren't being answered uh, within pastoral ministry in the churches we're in, but I just don't think they even were questions that occurred um, to a lot of people, whether it's our church leaders or the people we were at church with week by week. Um, and it, it just seemed to me that a lot of us were grappling with really complex questions about what it means to be Christian, unmarried, possibly really desiring of marriage, but feeling disappointed that that hasn't been God's plan for us, not sure about how do we think about remaining single, you know, leaving that door open, all sorts of pastoral questions. But what I really became clear to me is the pastoral questions are actually undergirded by theological questions. Our, our pastoral responses are really um, grounded in the fact that we actually need theological answers that give us these pastoral responses. And as I looked around I just couldn't find a lot of rigorous, solid theological thinking about singleness, um, not just how do we do singleness today, what do our churches think about singleness, but what does the Bible say about singleness? What What is God's perspective on singleness and how does that align with ours? And as you really search the scriptures to understand uh, how God speaks in this area, or what did you discover about uh, this perspective on singleness that actually enriches us as a whole church? Yeah, great question. I I went into it, um, as I reflect now, I went into my, I was originally going to write a book. A few people had encouraged me to write a book and I thought, okay, I could write a book on singleness. I finished up at my ministry job. I thought I'll take six months, I'll write this book and then I'll look for the next parish that I'll be joining as an assistant minister. But as I started thinking about that, I thought, what am I going to write? Like you can go down to your local Christian bookshop and there's a bunch of books on singleness on the shelf. What, 
what am I going to write that's different to what is already there? Is there anything different to say? And so that's when I, at the encouragement of a few other people, thought actually what I think I need to do is put in the hard yards to kind of go, well, is there more to say? And if there is, what is that? And so I was motivated into this area of research and writing, I think largely because I did want to help single Christians feel like they had a place of belonging in their church, that God had a purpose for their singleness. And that is certainly true. And I I pray that my work will continue to have that fruit. What I wasn't as prepared for is actually how vital single Christians are to who we are as the church. Um, It's not just that singles need to be able to find a place in the church, that actually the church, the body of Christ, needs single Christians um, because single Christians enrich our life together in all sorts of ways, practically, pastorally, but also theologically. Single Christians remind the body of Christ that this life is not all there is, that There's an eternity coming where Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, none of us will be married to each other. Um, And single Christians, therefore, now have the privilege, I think, of witnessing and pointing and anticipating in, in some very limited but specific ways. The body of Christ needs us to help fix their eyes on that, just as the body of Christ needs married people to help us think marriage that's coming between Christ and his church. When it comes to us caring for one another, how do uh, married people and single people connecting in the church, how do we do that really well that will commend the gospel? What I guess I'm asking, what have people done for you even that's helped you see, oh, that's the beauty of Christian community working? Yeah. Yeah. And I will, I'll, I'll give you some, practical examples of how that has um god has brought that about in my life but again going back to what i said before i think beneath the practical is always the theological and for me what does it look like for married and single christians to actually you know do life well together i think it's grounded in the primary recognition that our ultimate relationship as christians is as brother and sister in christ that that is what the enduring eternal relationship between us is going to be. And so if that's our starting point, even I I would want to argue that the primary enduring relationship between a husband and wife is as a brother and sister in Christ. And that's expressed, if you're married, that is expressed in a very exclusive, unique and particular expression of that. And I don't in any way want to undermine that. But actually, even though husbands and wives won't always be husbands and wives into the new creation they won't be they will always be brothers and sisters in Christ and so I think theologically if we can grapple with that reality this is the primary relationship of who we are together that then informs the way we actually do life together in the church Um, if we see each other as oh this is my brother who I'm united to in Christ and I'm going to be spending eternity glorifying Jesus with, um, that opens all sorts of possibilities for how we relate faithfully and creatively in that way. Um, And so, you know, pragmatically, you know, in my life that has meant I've had a number of um, uh, married couples with children uh, make me feel very much part of their life. You know, whether that's asking me to be godmother to their children, 
um, asking me, inviting me on family holidays. You know, quite regularly, I've got friends who moved an hour and a half away and quite regularly, I'll text them sometime during the week and say, what are you doing Friday night? And they say, come down, you know. Um, and in fact, it was lovely. This was a lovely moment. I was down there just on Friday night. Hadn't seen them. I'd seen them in passing for a couple of months, but hadn't spent much time with them. And they're renovating their house. So they're not living in their house that they will move back into. They're living somewhere else. And they brought me to see the renovations of their house. And they walked through and they showed me all the bedrooms. And then they brought me to the guest bedroom. And just offhandedly, they said, and this is your room. They didn't say this is the guest bedroom. This is a spare bedroom. And it's not my bedroom. Lots of people are going to stay in that bedroom. But my heart just warmed because... I know that they love me and value me and my relationship with them. So, um, you know, you can hear that I, I, I how much I appreciate it. Um, I think that we just need to work out not, and can I just say, not just married people working out how to singles be part of their life. We as single people need to work out how do I actually open my life to married people? The impetus shouldn't always be from one direction. It's actually all of us together. Danny, what's a resource at the Gospel Coalition Australia website that you can recommend listeners go and check out? Well, I was thinking about this because there are so many great resources. I thought, how do I, how do I pick one? Um, and so I thought, all right, I better sit down and, and go to the website and have a bit of a look through and work out what some of my favourite ones were. And then right at the top of the news feed, there was a new one that I hadn't read yet. And I thought, oh, this looks interesting. And as I read it, I thought, oh, this is the one I'm going to, this is the one I'm going to pick. And it kind of, because it gels with what we've just been talking about. But also, um, I just think it's a fascinating article. It's written by Andrew Moody um, and it's called, it's a great title. It's a great clickbait title. It's called A Hell of a Kiss. Um, and it's about a rodent statue, which is the kiss. And Andrew's point really is, you know, we look at this, this statue of a man and a woman kind of entwined together in romantic bliss and we think, oh, yeah, this is what life's about. This is kind of the fulfilment of, of what the existential human cry for intimacy is. And his point is that actually it's a statue of Dante's Inferno and it reflects a lo two lovers in hell because they have so prioritised their obsession with each other over their desire for God that actually it's turned them away from true desire, true beauty, true love. And I just... It was, I wasn't, I didn't know that that was what the story of that statue was. And so when I got to, I thought, oh, gee whiz. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. Um, and I love the article because it does challenge, you know, something, it's a little bit of a hobby horse of mine, our, our common, our contemporary 21st century expressions of love and romance is kind and sex really. It's kind of this necessary aspect of essential human fulfillment. This article challenges that by going, no, no, it's meant to fix our eyes on God. But I also love the way that it uses this historical sculpture to tell a story and a reminder that actually Christian history is full of all sorts of artefacts and resources that actually are deeply theological. Um, and I'd never really thought of a rodent statue as being deeply theological, but there you go. Yeah, that's a really good recommendation. I think that sounds like it's well worth a read and we'll put a link to that uh, in the show notes. Danny, thanks for being on this episode of Commending and Contending. Thanks for having me.
This podcast is made by the Gospel Coalition Australia. You can help us by sharing this episode, uh, maybe at church uh, with a Bible study group or community group. Uh, You can also help by going to our website and making a donation to grow the networks of Australian voices speaking the gospel to Australians.